before I start, I want to, you know, there's something about when we come to a point of depravity in our lives, even being saved, we find ourselves getting too busy doing other things and we find ourselves in complacency and we find ourselves not doing the things that we used to do and and I'm just sharing this from my own personal experience within the last two days I have sought Jesus more than I have probably within the last year something stirred in me and God has a way of moving in our lives when we get to a place where it's a work and not really serving Jesus anymore it's either him or nothing is where we get to and you know God I I really I don't know why God did it he did it and he brought me to a place of just a pure repentance of you know God I'm real sorry I'm really sorry that I put all these other things above you you know things aren't important they're not important Money is not important. It doesn't make things better, you know. The only thing that makes life better is Jesus. And so as, you know, and and I'm sharing this because I was standing back there and I was just really, you know, praying. And I was really just thanking God, you know. When we used to, when Savannah's up here and she said, you know, talk to him in your own words, you know. Tell him that you're grateful. Tell him you're thankful. It has to come from a pure heart. God doesn't want to hear your lines. And he doesn't want to hear your sorries or your apologies or he wants to know that you're genuinely, truly in love with him. Does that make sense? And as I was standing back there and I and I lift my hands, I told Valerie, I said, I've gotten it so twisted. I've gotten it twisted. You know, you know, pastor has been sick and. And it's, it's a whole new perspective when you have to look at someone you love and you don't have an explanation of why they're sick, you know? And I, and I look at him and I, I tell God, you know, I, I don't know if I can make it without him. And, and that's when God said, my grace is sufficient. It's enough. You know what I mean? And I'm telling you this because what I'm about to teach on, I need you guys to have open hearts, repetitive hearts. Not where you just tell God, I'm sorry, and then go do stuff again. Repentative heart where it's, God, I'm so sorry that I can't do this without you. Because I can't live my life without God. I tried, and I was angry, and I was bitter, and I became miserable, and I didn't want to serve in ministry, and I didn't want to deal with God's people, and it created in me a heart that became sick. And before you knew it, I wound up on a fence trying to decide, do I really want to serve God or is it easier to go over here? Because my heart started to want the things of the world and not the things of God. Does that make sense? And I really, I'm asking, I'm begging, I'm pleading. God really wants to work on your heart. We can go into a new year and we can make all these changes. Everybody makes changes. 2019, I want to make a change. It's, I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to this. And this is what I told my girls when we were doing it one day. I said, you know what, though? When you say I before anything, means you've taken God out of that equation. So really, what does God want for 2019 out of your life? What does God want 2019 to be with your ministry? What does God want your church to be in 2019? Take you out of the equation and let God do the work. Okay? 
And I'm really, I want you, and this, this is a tough, this is a tough teaching. It's tough. Because I have to penetrate things that are, people are going to get offended. I don't know. I hope not. But I also want you to know that God loves you. And when he brings a word, he brings it so that it pierces and it divides and it changes. And it changes our hearts and it makes us do something completely different than what we were doing before. Okay? So my topic, and let's pray real quick. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you, Lord. I thank you for what you're doing at Victory Life. But most of all, God, I thank you for what you're doing in your kingdom. And I thank you for your people, God. Father, I pray right now that their hearts become open to become soft, Father God, so that they can hear what you are saying, not what I'm saying, God. It has nothing to do with me. But I want you to penetrate your people, God. I want everything, the distractions, the things that the enemy says to be far away from you, God. I want you to bring healing over your church, God. I want you to bring the miracles, God. I want you to bring the signs and wonders back, God. But we as your people, God, we have to repent. We as your church, God, we have to fall back on our knees. And we as your people, God, need to seek your face above anything else. Father, I thank you for the pastor of this house, God. I pray healing over him right now. And I pray for your church. Let us become that spotless bride without blemish, that you're coming back for. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. My title today is You Can't Straddle the Devil's Fence. Okay, so if you'll turn with me to 1 Kings 18, starting, in chapter, uh, in, starting at 17. And the word of the Lord reads, He replied, I have not ruined Israel, but you and your father's family have. Because you have abandoned the Lord's commands and followed Baal. Now summon all Israel to meet me at Mount Carmel, along with 400 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asher who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab summoned all the Israelites and gathered the prophets at Mount Carmel. Then Elijah approached all the people and said, How long will you waver between options? If the Lord is good, if, if the Lord is God, I'm sorry, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. And what I want to say here is the world, right? We're talking about here Elijah is telling the people, how long are you going to waver between two options? Okay? If God is Lord of your life, if God is truly your king, then you're going to follow him. Baal represents the world and worldly things, the worldly trinity, so if Baal is your God, then follow Baal. But you can't be with both. You can't serve the world and try to serve God. And you can't serve God and still try to serve the world. It, it just doesn't work. You're going to love one and hate the other. So I want to give you an introduction. There was a group of people, just like you guys. We'll say you guys are the people, right? And on one side, we'll make this the one side and this the other side, okay? And so on one side of the group stood a man, Jesus, and on the other side of the group stood Satan, and they began separating them, right? They began, they began calling these names and separating these people, okay? And so, and they're running through this group, dividing, just picture in this hallway is a fence, okay? 
So as the scene is set, both Jesus and Satan began calling to the people in the group. And one by one, each having made up his or her own mind, right? So they're having to what? Make up their own minds. Because God is a God of free will. You have to make up your own mind. I can't make up your mind. You can't make up my mind. I can't go to heaven with you, and you can't go to heaven with me. I'll stand before a holy God on my own. I'm accountable for everything I do on my own. Okay? So here these people are having to choose. Am I going with God, or am I going with Satan? So now they're choosing. Okay? And so... They, this kept going for a while, and soon enough, Jesus had gathered his group and from the large crowd, as did Satan. But one man, someone say one man, one man, joined neither group. He didn't get on it. He climbed on the fence and sat there. Then Jesus and his people left and disappeared, and so did Satan and his people. And on the, and on the man sat there alone on that fence. As this man sat, Satan came back looking for something which he appeared to have lost. The man said to him, have you lost something? Satan looked straight at him and replied, no, there you are. Come with me. But said the man, I sat on the fence. I chose neither you or him. I didn't choose God and I didn't choose Satan. I just sat in the middle. Satan's reply was, that's okay. I own the fence. I own the fence. So you can, we, you know, and here's the thing. He didn't, he didn't choose. He thought, I could get out of it. I can, I can serve Jesus, and I can serve the world, but I can sit on the fence, and neither one of them are going to ask me anything. But Satan came and said, there you are. I own that fence. The fence, my first one is the fence. See, you can't straddle the fence. The fence has become our modern way to say what Elijah was saying. How long will you waver between options? Or how long between opinions? Or how long are you going to waver from the kingdom of God and the world? How long are you going to waver? In the scripture, Elijah calls on the people to stop this and choose one or the other. In other words, Elijah is saying, look, how long will you try to worship God and how long are you going to try to worship Satan? Because you, we're, we're, this is what we do, and, it's, and if, if it applies, apply it. If it doesn't, let it fly. I'm not trying to offend anybody. I'm trying to get to your hearts today. Okay? We can't love God and serve God with everything that we have and straddle a fence and try to serve the world too. Because what happens is eventually one's going to pull you. And if you see in here it says... 
Here, Elijah is making a statement that's clearly a metaphor to deal with half-hearted people, to deal with double-minded people, and those people that straddle that fence. Elijah is saying, look, you have to get to a point, people. You have to get to the point, church, where you no longer want to straddle a fence, that your option isn't one foot in the world and one foot with Jesus. You can't do one foot with Christianity and one foot with the world. It doesn't work. It's pulling you. It's tugging you. It's trying to take you. And God, God gave you free will. So guess what? He's just standing there. He's not going to force you. But you know what the devil does? The devil makes the world so loud. Noise. That God is so quiet that the distractions pull us more towards the opposite side of the fence. In Revelations 3 and 16, the word of the Lord reads, So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, he said, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Have you heard people say, I'm just riding the fence. I'm just going to sit here quietly and wait. I'm going to see what happens. The fence referred to is one that separates two properties or territories. And someone sitting on it is unable or unwilling to make a decision about which side to stand on. If you sit on a fence, you're refusing to give a definite opinion about something or to make a permanent choice. You might even say the devil owns the fence, meaning he owns your lukewarmness. And at some point, we have to choose a side. Look, we cannot stand strong on top of a fence because a fence isn't designed to hold us. A fence isn't designed to hold us. Offense is designed to be on one side or the other. Offense is meant for protection. Offense is what keeps us safe. Offense will show one territory to another. Like even in gangs, if you look at gangs, it's this turf is mine and that turf is yours. That's the same thing God is doing. This is my land. These are my people. These are my children. And the world said this is mine and this is yours. And, And we separate them. We as Christians and even people in the world, we think we're smarter than the devil. We really do. We try to outsmart the devil. We think that we have an upper hand. Okay? So we enjoy doing drugs or alcohol, and we enjoy going to parties, or we enjoy just the one-time drink, or we enjoy the one-time cigarette, or we enjoy the one-time lustful looks at women or men. And, and we, like in our marriages, we, uh, we don't want to commit adultery, but we definitely laugh at filthy jokes. And we don't tell a whole lie, we tell a little white lie. We may not steal, but we don't pay our debts either. And then all of this, we do all these things. And then when it's time for the devil to come and collect, because we do know that those things are of the world. The world is the devil's domain. It's the devil's territory. It's his place. He's going to come collect. You can't entertain the devil and not expect him to come for payment. It doesn't work. Okay? And so, they, and so here's what happens. So the enemy comes... And he's trying to collect it. And then what we do is we run to God and act like we've been on his side the whole time. Saying things like, I'm a Christian. I'm saved by grace. All I have to do is repent. 
God forgives sin. And yes, God is all of those things. All of those things. But to those who truly repent, those who truly have a heart change, repentance means turning away from those things and to never do it again. Meaning if you're choosing to serve God, that means you will never cross over that fence again. That means that your choice has been permanently made up. Okay? You can walk away from God because, right, as children of God, if you're a Christian, you're saying you're a child of God. As a child of God, you can walk away from God unaware. A child of God doesn't have demons. Demons can't live in you. But you can make poor decisions. And you continue to make the same poor decision after poor decision after poor decision. And before you know it, because you refuse to truly repent, you wind up on that lukewarm fence. You walk away from a holy and righteous God to get yourself back on a fence that the devil owns. Okay. My next point is why hot or cold, but not lukewarm. See, Revelation 3.16, when it talks about because you're neither lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Look, Jesus would rather have you in the world than to pretend that you are with him. Okay? It's easier for you to choose. If you can't truly, listen, church, if you truly cannot walk it out, it's better just to be out than to say you're in and to hurt the most loving God in the whole universe. Because here's the thing. God loved you so much. He loved you so much that he came from glory to earth. He loved you so much. He counted your sin. He counted the cost. He saw you. He chose you. And he said, I'm going to nail myself. I'm going to get nailed to that cross for you. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he loves you. I want you to picture this because here's the thing. Yes, do we all make mistakes? Yes. Do we all make poor choices? Yes. But repenting means you're not going to do it again. It means that you've made a cognitive choice, meaning you've made a decision in your mind. There's no going back. No going back. Lukewarm is someone who is neither hot nor cold about their faith. In other words, their faith doesn't mean very much to them. They aren't particularly enthusiastic about it, nor are they hostile towards it. So you, do you see how you're lukewarm? You're not on fire, but you're not real cold either. So when the Christians come around, you do holy, 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 holy. Oh, I'm all spiritual. Hello. Look at me, I'm here, Jesus, I'm praying, I worship, and you give all the scriptures. Then when the Christians are out of the room and the worldly people come in the room, then you're talking bad language, you're talking dirty jokes, you're smack-talking your people, you're doing these things, you're double-crossing, and who can trust you after that? Who can trust you, church? And like I said, I'm not condemning. My message is not to condemn. My job here, what God is using is I'm just a vessel. God wants to convict the heart. God wants to convict you. He wants to pierce your heart. 
because if there's something in it that needs to change, church, we need to change. We can't change a lost and broken world if we're not choosing a side. It won't work. We're not going to be effective. You're not effective. A person who is lukewarm, they drift along. Yeah. It's like in the home. Eh. Yeah. Let me stay out the way. I'm just going to float along through my year. No hurt, no foul. I never wound up on discipline. Uh Then you fake it. Because God's got a conviction. Right? Remember when I started? I told you God convicted me. He brought me to a place of repentance. That's all I'm trying to do. Instead of loving God with all their heart, they are indifference towards him. And think about him when they mainly get in trouble. You're saying you follow Jesus, but in your heart you really don't. It is when your actions and your heart for God don't match up. And you know, you can always tell when your heart matches up with what you're saying. And out of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? So if I'm saying I love Jesus, but I spend more time in the gossip room, or I spend more time creating arguments, or I spend more time hanging out in secular things and secular people and doing all these things, and I'm not really hanging with the Christian people in the Christian way and the way that God is calling me to live, then I'm, I'm lukewarm. I'm lukewarm. The Bible says a startling thing about lukewarm faith, and that is God detests it. Does it sound harsh? It may at first. But I need you to know this. Once again, Christ left the glory of heaven for you. Christ left his home. Christ came and paid your debt, my debt. That's what he did. And really, I, wanna, I just want you guys to look at it like this. Lukewarm Christians can do more harm to the cause of Christ than all the prostitutes, the bartenders, the pornographers, the drug pusher, the drug user. You do more harm when you're lukewarm. You, you get make people think Christianity is something that it's really not. And that's why the church today is having such a hard time, people, getting people through a front door. You don't look any different than the person in the world. There's not a difference. They can't tell the difference. If I get treated this way in a church, I'm going to be treated this way in the world. I'm going to stay in the world's lane. I'm not going to be condemned to hell if I'm over here. I'm already there. That's how they do. Lukewarm Christians are alibis of sinners. You're a sinner's friend. You're their alibi. It, it double-crosses Christ. You tell him you're your friend, and then you're not. He would rather have you on the wrong side of a fence than sitting on a fence. If one-tenth of our people who name the name of Christ were on fire for the Lord, we would see a mighty revival sweep across the land. Being hot is like fire. And God uses fire to purify our faith 
in which there are two modes of purification. And God uses fire and God will use water. Okay? Therefore, fire draws a line in the sand. We are either in or out. We are with him or we are against him. Fire burns and destroys. It burns away sin. And when we are on fire, then God uses his water to purify us. Because it cleanses the soul. And together they create more a righteous individual in his image. Meaning God's not going to put, you're not going to put clean drinking water in a dirty vessel. You're going to get sick. It doesn't work. You're not going to put clean purified water in a broken vessel because the broken vessel is going to be used. So God takes us, we're the vessels. God takes us, puts us through that fire to purify us. And is it, is it painful? Yes. Does it hurt? Yes. But he's purifying us and he's making that clean vessel. And when we're on fire and all those impurities, are coming out he comes and he puts his holy spirit in us and that holy spirit is that water and it cleanses us and it washes us and it covers us and before you know it we're washed white as snow that's who god is and here's the thing as a lukewarm christian and i'm going to reference this it's like in football okay and i'm not going to mention the cowboys because i think they played like this but like in football we cannot reach the goal <laughs> the touchdown Stumble, we can't reach the goal and we can't get a touchdown because we're so busy stumbling over our own players. If you're a lukewarm Christian, you're in the way. You're in the way from people getting saved. You're in the way for people coming to repentance. You're in the way for people seeing what Christianity is really about. You're in the way. And then here, the, the, the pure players, the right players, the A team is going in. And we're tripping over the, the B team because you don't know your place and you don't know your place because you're not on either side. You're just in the way. Move out of the way. Move. You want an A team? You want a winning team? Then get on God's team. You want to play football for real? Then get on the right team. Don't get in the way of other people. If you don't want to do it, move. Somebody wants to play. I don't want to stumble over people. If you don't want to do it, that's fine. That's your choice. You have free will. Life, it's your choice. Be in or be out. But don't come in and out. You can't win a football game that way. You can't win a football game with players who are half-heartedly doing something. The Cowboys played half-heartedly. I don't know what they were doing yesterday. I was so mad. Move. You know, get out my way. I'll go play. I'm determined to win. Poor Ezekiel Elliott. His little old scores yesterday were kind of pitiful. But they, were, they, they started out determined. Sometimes when we start to get defeated, we start to go back towards a fence. It's too hard. It hurts too much. I don't want to do that because you're asking all of me. You're asking me to sacrifice what I don't want to sacrifice. One time Pastor Raymond said, you know, and I, I, I said it before, I kind of got a little offended, but he said, you know, if something happened to my wife and children or they left me, I'm still going to be okay. I still have God. It's the same thing. 
The church wants you. Jesus wants you. But he's not going to force you. You know? And really, lately, I've had that contemplation. And, and I think that's what kind of brought me to repentance. Can I really be okay without my husband? If something ever happened, can I be okay? And Jesus, that's what I told you. Jesus told me, my grace is sufficient. It's enough. I've got you. So if God has little old me, nobody, me, then he's got you. If his grace is sufficient for me, his grace is sufficient for you. But you got to choose to get on a side. You got to choose hotness or coldness. Because when you're lukewarm, you're nobody's player. You're just in the way. Lukewarm Christians tell Jesus, I believe in you, but you just don't excite me. It's not fun in Christianity. I can't go do what I want to do. You give me stipulations. But they also say, I don't intend to serve you with my whole life with fire and, and, and excitement. Meaning you're not willing to, to be all on fire. You're not willing to lay everything down. Laying everything down means if I don't have a bank account, if I don't have the caddy, if I don't have the Lexus, if I don't have this, if I don't have that, if I don't have my kids, if I don't have my wife, I'm still willing, God. I'm still willing. I'm willing. That's laying it down. That's living on fire for God. Now, does God want us to have things? Yes. Does God want us to have our family? Yes. But they cannot be above God. Nothing can be above God. And we put too much stuff above God. And we make material things above God. We make people above God. And we wind up on a fence line and we can't choose hot or cold because we're so focused on what the enemy wants us to focus on. Who cares? Give it away. Pastor Raymond was telling me the other day, he said, look, all I want for my family is for them to serve God. That's it. If I have to get rid of the house, the cars, the money, everything, so that we'll serve God again, then that's what I'll do. It's just stuff. I need you to hear this. It's just stuff. Naked you came, naked you leave. Naked you came, naked you leave. God's going to give you what he has for you when you choose him. You can get it from the enemy, but it ain't going to last. You're going to do it for a minute, for a second, for a season, and then before you know it, the devil will come and collect what you chose to give up. You don't see God before, look, okay, why lukewarmness is harmful? Do you know that being lukewarm is harmful? It's harmful. First of all, it's harmful to you for your salvation. But look, lukewarmness is harmful because you don't seek God before making decisions. Look, one major aspect of the Christian life is trusting God. Trusting God means if I'm blindfolded and God is talking to me and he's telling me you take one step, I'm going to take a step. If he says take two steps and I'm blindfolded and he's leading me and telling me to turn left and turn right and jump over this and jump over that and I'm blindfolded and I'm doing it, that means I trust him. That means, okay, God, I'm trusting you with me. 
I'm trusting you with my family. I'm trusting you with my children. I'm trusting you with my finances. I have no control over it. Or are you one of those people that when the blindfold's on, you push it up, and God says go, and you're one, one, one eye, and you're like, yeah, God, yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't think God can see that? Just like when you try to hide stuff in your heart, when you got junk in the trunk, God hears it, God sees it, God knows it. It's a desire to see his will in our lives, even over our own. God, if I have to go thousands of miles away to a foreign land and I lose my life and I did it because you asked, then it was worth it all. It's worth it all. If I lose everything, God, but I know you're there, it's worth it all. If I lose my husband, if I lose my kids, if I lose my house, and you're still there, I'm okay. Because I know God is for me and not against me. I know in Jeremiah 29, 11, he told me he had the plans that, I, that he had for my life, and it was plans to prosper me and not to harm me. Not to harm me. So if he's not going to harm me, he's not going to harm you. And what happens is, is we don't take for word for word. We have a Bible. Everybody hold your Bible. And they're just storybooks to you. But guess what? If you really, really choose him, the word becomes, it becomes fire. It becomes life. And it goes into you, and it sucks into you, and you write it on the tablet of your heart, every word, word for word. And when, not, when the enemy comes and he tries to tell you a lie, I got this word. I know the word. I know that's not what God said. I know God's got something for me. I know, God, if I serve you, you will make it all work out. But we get doubting Thomas. We're doubting Thomas spirits. And we get, like, it, it's, it's good. As long as stuff is going our way. And it's good as long as I can see a finish line. But the minute that God steps away and you can't see a finish line or it's not going so good, the first thing we do is why? Why? Where's God? I can't see you. I just want to quit. I just want to give up. I just don't want to do it anymore. There you are back on that fence. That fence. But if I really trust God, I'm diving in. If I really know God, I'm going to trust him. <clears throat> the process takes having faith. That's God's way is the best way. But being lukewarm, people will always look. Lukewarm people always make their own decisions without ever consulting God. And this is just time for you to evaluate real quick because I'm going to ask a question, okay, because I know the answer. I can tell you that, yes, I've done this, okay? When I have to make a decision that I don't really want to hear the truth in or I want to do me, I don't never ask God. Do you? Have you done that? Oh, my family's not showing up. I'm out. Oh, God made this difficult. I'm out. Oh, I can't handle this. I'm out. 
but you're out because you never consulted the one you needed to consult to begin with. And a lot of people, this is another thing that people do, and I've done it before. Instead of going to God for God's answers, I go to man. And I go to every man until I hear what I want to hear. And that's not trusting God. That is not serving God. You don't need man's opinion. You need God's opinion. Do you need spiritual headship? Yes, because God put them in charge of you, over you, to help you, to grow you, to benefit you. But if you don't ask God first, don't ask nobody else. They'll give you the wrong answer. They will have you twisted. You'll be wondering why you're all kinds of jacked up, and that person's like, mm. They don't seek God. How are you going to ask somebody that don't even seek the face of God? That don't make no sense. Your headship seeks the face of God. So stop asking Timmy, Bobby, Susie, whoever for an opinion about a spiritual matter. Stop asking them for spiritual matters. Go to the people that seek the Lord. And before you do that, Hit your knees, drown out the noise, and ask your dad who loves you. That's what you need to do. So they make decisions without consulting God. Look, being lukewarm creates a habit, leading the person's life to what they think is comfortable and not following God. I would rather be comfortable than to follow God. I want to be comfortable in a house. I want to be comfortable with a wife or a husband. I want to be comfortable here, and I want to be comfortable here. So I don't even want to ask you, God, because what you're asking is probably going to be uncomfortable. I'm just going to let you in. Really, honestly, I was in a season where it was just easier for me to be comfortable than to have to deal with hurt and heartache and pain and suffering. It was easier it was easier to become complacent. It was easier just to stop. Amen. I shut down. Ask my husband. I shut down. Ministry was the last thing on my mind. I didn't want to serve Jesus. It hurt too much. It was real messy. You know what it's like to love people and they stab you in the back? Do you know what it's like to love people and be able to look them in the face and tell them you're okay? Do you know what it's like? Do you know what it's like to carry hundreds of people's burdens and try to stand by yourself or with your spouse? It's hard. It's tiring. It's painful. That's really picking up Jesus' cross. I'm bleeding somebody else's blood. It's not even my stuff. I told my husband one time, I said, I'm tired of these people. I'm tired of dealing with their drama. These people, they drive me nuts. They whine. It's all about me. What about me? Pastor don't care. Do you ever think pastor's dealing with somebody else's whiny self too? Have you ever considered that we got a family of seven people? Have you ever considered the fact that it's a cross to carry? That it's a burden to carry? And we're not doing it for you. We're doing it because Jesus asked us to lay our lives down. And I got it twisted. I got it twisted. I got on the fence. Because I was tired. 
I was tired of carrying burdens that weren't mine. To have, did you pick up a phone and ask your pastor, what can I do for you today? Were you there when he was praying and crying because he didn't have answers? But we don't dump it on you. We take it to the cross. I've never seen much. I'm really, I'm just going to give my husband a shout out. I've never seen a more honorable, God-seeking, God-fearing man in my entire life. He doesn't get on the fence. He's hot because God told him to serve him because he took him from desperation and brokenness and nothingness. And he said, I choose you, Raymond. Do you choose me? And he said, yes. And then you know what he did? He didn't go and become the Lone Ranger. He didn't go and try to do it himself. He called his pastor. Hey, pastor, I need your covering. I need to know that you're with me if I do this, that you're going to be there and pray with me and support me and love me because I'm not getting on the fence. I'm not going cold. And then you know what he did after that? Hey, family, we have a choice to make. Are we in or are we out? I can't do this without you. So either we're in it together or we're not doing it at all. I just said, okay, whatever. <laughs> Jumping in. But you know what I didn't count? Sometimes I didn't count. The hurt. To love someone so much. This is a trip. And this is God. I know it's God. I know what it's like to love someone so much. And they spit in your face. And you still love them. You still pour out forgiveness. You look past their worldliness and you look past their scars and their hurt and you still see the very thing that Christ sees in them. But you got to get off the fence. You can't be lukewarm for a God who saves you. You can't be lukewarm for a church and tell them that you want to be a part of it and then you never help. You can't just leave the burden to the pastors. You can't always drop your, bar your garbage at your pastor's door. Our pastor today, Raymond, called and, and they were talking. And I'm grateful. I'm grateful for my pastor. My husband's my pastor, but Pastor Anthony is my pastor. And I'm grateful because when we saw the worst in ourselves, he saw the best in us. When everybody told my husband no, he opened that front door. When I didn't know how to make it another day, he would pray for me and he would talk to me. And there's struggles in everything in life. And he would pray over us and, and talk us off the ledge and, and walk us through it because that's what a man of God does. So you don't get on that fence. Look, people want Jesus to be Savior, but they don't want him to be Lord of their lives. Why is, uh, look, and being, why else is it harmful? Because it sets up, it sets us up for other sin. 
You open the door when you're lukewarm for the enemy to come in. The lukewarm Christian is a sitting duck for the devil. Example, a husband and wife are happily married, but the wife begins to feel less and less passionate. So she starts to read love stories and begins to daydream about another life outside of her home and her marriage. And then one day at a health club, she meets a man who seems to personify all the men that she's ever read about in her novels. And before she knows it, her lukewarm heart has led her down the pathway of unfaithfulness. So how do you remain faithful to your husband and not run off with another man? Or how do you remain faithful to your wife and not run off with another woman? You have to stay in love. A person who is deeply in love will not go off with someone else. If you are truly, deeply, and passionately in love with Christ, you will never get on that fence. Do you know that you are married to Jesus? Do you know that that is your husband? Do you know that that's your daddy? I look at my children, and we love them. And there's nothing in the world that I wouldn't do for them. And I know that when they cry, I cry. When they do something wrong, I get real mad. But the one thing that it reminds me of is the same love that Christ has for you and I. That same love, that same passionate, deep love for us. Look, another thing that happens when you're in this lukewarmness, excuse me, is your friends begin to not take you seriously with your walk with Christ. The people you surround yourself with no longer are able to receive from you. Lukewarm Christians are only fooling themselves. Even their friends will see they are not really all in for Jesus. Others will not take your relationship with God seriously when they see you. When they see you. Others will not take your relationship with God seriously when they see you. So why should they? Tell me why. People will expect them to do what they've always done, not simply what you say. Here's what happens. We do stuff over and over and over and over. We say something over and over and over and over and over. And then we say, this is the famous lines, I'm so sorry, I won't do it again. I'm so sorry, I won't do that again. I'm so sorry, I won't do that again. And eventually you know what happens? When you say it again, nobody believes you. Nobody believes you. So if you're sitting here saying you love Jesus, you love Jesus, you love Jesus, you love Jesus, but you're living secularly or you're going to get high and then coming back and telling people about Jesus, it's contradicting yourselves. You want to serve Jesus, but you're, you're dipping or you're smoking or you're drinking or you're lusting or you're doing these things and people see it, the world sees it, and then you're going over trying to tell them about Christ. Do you know you hurt Christ? You grieve him. It hurts him. He didn't come all the way from glory to get, to get a bad rep. People will expect them to do what they've always done, not simply what you say. If your friends don't believe what you're saying about your commitment to Jesus, it's because your words don't match your actions, which then you lead other people astray. Okay? 
You want to know how far you can push the limit with God? Lukewarm Christians always want to put God to a test because they want to live with God and in the world. They will want to know how far they can push the limit before tipping on one side or the other. And they want to know how far they can get with God and still be okay with him. So you want, it's like, it's like a kid with a parent, right? You want to test, test how far you can push something. But do you realize something? That you're playing Russian roulette. Here's why you're playing. Get on the fence. Picture the fence. You're sitting on the fence. You're playing Russian roulette. The bullet may not be intended for you, but you can't decide what to be on. And guess what? Neither can the devil. And he has no problem eliminating you because you're a threat to him just as much as you are to God. That devil will knock you out. You might wind up six feet under. Keep playing with him. You're now a threat. You've become the threat. Sit on his fence. Look, causes of lukewarmness, okay? The indifference of the Laodiceans, this is in Revelations, was caused by ignorance. Revelations 3.17 says, For you say I'm rich, I have become wealthy and need nothing, and you don't realize that you are pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. The Laodiceans, they didn't even know what their need was, which was their need to be able to see. The lukewarm Christian is generally the last one to know that they're even lukewarm. You see it. The world sees it. The children of God see it. They can't see it. Look, there are none so blind as those who refuse to see. And there are none so deaf as those who have ears but will not hear. That's the reason John says anyone who has an ear should listen to what the Spirit says to the church, right? Anyone with some ears, y'all need to hear what God is saying. How are you going to hear him if you're not listening? The Laodiceans were self-satisfied, self-satisfied. Notice that John says in Revelation 3.18, 1, he said, I advise, well, Revelation 3.18, I'm sorry, I advise you to buy from me, okay? That's Jesus, buy from me, him, himself, buy from Jesus, Okay, gold refined in the fire so that you may be rich, not earthly rich, heavenly rich. White clothes, the washing of the blood, the forgiveness of the sins, put on the white clothes so that you may be dressed and your shameful nakedness not be exposed an ointment to spread on your eyes so that you can see, so that you can clearly see which side you need to be on, so that you can clearly see the devil and you can clearly see God. Sometimes you got to clear your thinking and your perspective and you got to clean them glasses. Look, Laodicea was famous for three things. It was wool, wealth, and gold. And check this out. It's medical center for the treatment of blindness. That's what they're known for. But look, so here's what God is making a play on the words, right? He's using what they have. And now he's going to put a play on it. It's like football. Now we're going to do the execution, right? Here's what God says. He says, in spite of your wool, in spite of your wealth, in spite of your medicine, the only thing you need is my holy fire. That's it. You just need God and God's fire and God's anointing and God's covering and everything else is going to work itself out. But how did they get in the position of their self-satisfaction and complacency? Look, in the medical field, when you have a fever, you're, you go up by degrees. 
So when you start, your, your normal temperature is 98.6. When you start to get fever, your fever goes to 101.4. That's a fever, right? But it has to go up by degrees. People cool down by degrees. To show this, let's look at the degrees of separation from the church of Ephesus, which was the first church exhorted in Revelation, and moved to Laodicea, which is the last church. So when God addressed, can you go to Revelation 2, 1 through 3? I don't know that I can read that. Maybe. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands says this, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance and that you cannot tolerate evil men and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles and they are not and you found them to be false and you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. Look, so when God addressed the church at Ephesus, he spoke about their programs, their power, and their purity. And we think, oh, what a wonderful church. And yet God said one thing to the church at Ephesus. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou has left thy first love. You left me. That's what he was telling them. You left me. You left my love. You left my covering. You traded it in for something else. So all these programs and all these things, here we are back at things, all these things have taken me out of the picture. You don't love me anymore. How do you get back to your first love? The Ephesians were not exhorted because they did not love the Lord. They had simply left their first love and got on that fence. If you're married, perhaps you remember your honeymoon. Somebody has jokingly said that the honeymoon is that period of time between I do and you'd better. I do and you better. You better get them dishes done. You better take that trash out. You better make that bed. You better get them kids up. Okay? The honey-do lists, right? The honeymoon, though, ought to never end. If you don't love your spouse more today than you did when you married, and you love him or her less, how sad is it? Because you left your first love. Look, Raymond and I, we have conversations. We're normal. We have conversations. And, and, and lately, we've been having really serious conversations. And, and, I, and really, I'm going to be honest here. That's my best friend. At the end of the day, that's my whole heart. Next to God, there's, I love him. There's not anybody else that I'm ever going to love more than I love him. You know? But do you know that when we first got married, it was a disaster. <laughs> then we found Jesus, and it got better. But then we still had self. And self kept getting in the middle of our marriage. And then we got ministry, and ministry got in our marriage. And then do you know what we had to do? We had to make a cognitive choice. You know what that choice is? To love each other, come hell or high water. We chose to love each other no matter what anybody else said. If the world turned against us, it was still him and I. And it's the same way today. I love that man, and I will fight for that man. I will defend that man. We are the A-team together. That's my man, and I am going to defend my man. Okay? 
so don't mess with my hubby, okay? But I love him. I love him more than the day I first laid my eyes on him. I love him more today than I did when we said I do. I love him more even after we've had our children. And I love him as our ministry goes. I love him more and more because he turns more and more and more and more and more and more into the image of God. And I love that. So if you're having marital problems, I'll send you to Josh and Amanda's class. But I'm here to let you know. I'm here to let you know, if you really love something, it's worth dying for. Jesus loved you so much that you were worth dying for. Get off the fence. Love him just as much as he loves you. Seek him passionately, fervently. Look, the Laodations needed the gold for God's glory that had been through the fire, and they needed the garments of God's righteousness. See, they thought they were clothed. They thought they were clothed. And they came to worship service. They came to church, and they looked real good, dressed up garbage cans. And yet God saw them for what they were, and he said, you're naked. You're naked. Your character sucks. You know what I mean? The things that you're seeking aren't of me. The things you're desiring are not of me. You know what I'm saying? Without Jesus, my character sucks. Without God, Pastor Raymond's character is not good. <laughs> Just like I know Ken's character isn't good, and Elliot's character isn't good, and Valerie's isn't good, Jacob isn't good. None of us are good. But the one thing that we realize is that we have jacked up characters. And so guess what we know? We know we need Jesus. Look, 1 Corinthians 2 and 14. But the person without the spirit does not receive what comes from God's spirit because it's foolishness to him. He is not able to understand it since it is evaluated spiritually. It, our actions, our thoughts, our deeds, they're all evaluated spiritually. Man doesn't care. Man, man will tell you you look good and you don't look good. Man will tell you a lie just to get you to do what it wants it to do. God's going to tell you that you're sick. God's going to tell you you're naked. God's going to tell you, hey, man, you stink. That's what he told me the other day. He said, man, Heather, your character is real kind of, you, you are not choosing me. And he doesn't have a problem telling my husband to tell me either because my husband told me one day, he said, it's all right, we all go carnal sometimes. And I just sat there and I want to get mad, but how do you get mad at somebody who's speaking truth? See, I'm a pastor's wife, I'm a pastor, but I'm still human. I still have feelings and emotions, and I still do things that hurt God, and I have to repent. But you want to know what? I'm not going to do it again. I'm going to stay on fire for God because you want to know where my darkest place was the last year? Without him. Bet you couldn't tell that I was there, though. You didn't know that I didn't read my Bible. You didn't know that seeking God was a challenge. You didn't know that I cried and I wanted to quit. You didn't know. Because you can fake it till you make it, until God gets you, or the devil gets you. So what do I do? I repented, and I said, man, God, I don't want to be without you. I don't want to be without your presence. I don't want to be without your anointing. I can't live without it. I'm wretched. I'm horrible. 
I can't stand you. Honestly, ask Valerie. I'm like, I can't stand these people. But you want to know what it was? The flesh. Because without Jesus, I can't love you. You can't love me. And then we really won't be a happy family. Okay? Just saying. It will get real ugly real quick. Okay? But look, I want to share this quick story with you. We're finishing up. I know. I hope y'all are getting something. I hope God's really penetrating your hearts. Look, there's a story uh, written by Hans Christian Andersen called The Emperor's New Clothes. And there were these men who pretended to be tailors. Okay, so there's these people who pretend to be Christians. Whatever. They pretended to be tailors, meaning somebody that can make clothing, right? So look, so there was a king, and he was a mean king, a punk king. Knowing the king's vanity about his clothes, they began a scheme to weave invisible garments. How silly does that sound, invisible garments? But the king bought it because he, so, he was so into, into, into vanity, right? So the king bought into it. He took off all his clothes and he put on the invisible suit and he walked in the royal procession in the middle of everybody with this naked garment. But everybody's in there cheering, ah! you know, praises that what the outfit he was wearing. And then the one little boy looked at the king and he said, he said, look at the king. He's all together naked as the day he was born. He don't got no clothes on. Am I the only one that sees it? My question is, are you rich today? Add up everything you have that money cannot buy. And death cannot take away. And that's how rich you really are. Look, spiritually, the Lodosians had great needs, just like the king in the above story. What happens to someone who is lukewarm sitting on a fence? Revelations 3.19 says, and this is God. This is where I wanted to penetrate. He says, as many as I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Be zealous. Be so in love with God. Show on fire for this king. That even if you do wrong, even before you think of wrong, your heart is so repentant. Oh, yeah, no, no. I'm sorry I even had that thought. That the devil. Before you go to tell that story, before you go to lie to someone, before you go to put something that you know doesn't need to be in your body, before you go to hurt somebody, you better think, God, I'm so zealous and jealous and I'm so in love with you. I repent before I even knew it. That way you can get rid of stinking thinking. So you can stop saying you're sorry and not mean it. Say sorry and do it. Get off a fence. Ask yourself today, do I really love the Lord God with all my heart? If I'm not, if I'm not willing to lay myself down, if I'm not willing to carry that cross that's not mine, then I need to repent. I need to truly repent. Look, the altar is where people meet God. But God don't want you to come here and tell him you're sorry and cry and do this and do that. And then 10 minutes later, you're doing the same thing. That's not God. God doesn't want that. God's looking at you 
just really be sorry? Can I really be all that fills your heart? You tell me you love me, but your lip, you give me lip service. You're giving me the words you think I want to hear. I don't want to hear words. I want your heart. That's what God wants. And if you love him, you're going to get off a fence. And if you don't love him, get on the other side of the fence. We'll pray you back. You'll bump your head and come back. And you know what will be there? Forgiveness. Love. Family. That picks you back up. That lifts you back up. Why? Because they have the heart of God. Look, and I'm closing. I feel like my husband. Look, lukewarmness is not weakness. It's wickedness. It's wickedness. It's not a small sin, but it's a big sin. If the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, then the greatest sin is to not do it. The greatest commandment says love your God with all your heart. So if you don't love him with all your heart, you're in sin. If something love you love more than God, then you're in sin. You can't do the first commandment if he's not everything that you need. We failed already. Better start repenting. Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I put the cowboy game ahead of you. Sorry I lied. Look, you cannot simply waltz into heaven being lukewarm. Sitting on a fence and not making a choice. You're going to do it and come face to face with God or Satan. And that choice is yours. You can't waltz to heaven. You can't get on somebody else's coattail. Heather's got an answer for Heather. Heather's got to cognitively choose God. God, let me be in the desert. God, let me feel hurt and anguish and pain and loneliness. And God, let me do these things. But the devil still let me smile. Devil allowed me to fake it. Till I was so empty. So empty. It was empty. God, I just miss you. I miss you, God. I miss you talking to me. And I miss you walking with me. I miss your arms around me when I can't stand. I miss you. And God, I'm sorry I got on that fence. I'm sorry. Because my heart is repenting. Because I don't want to live my life one more day without you. Because it's hell without you. You don't got to put me in hell. It's hell when you've tasted the goodness of God and you're far away from him. That's like sitting there saying in Abraham's bosom for just a taste. Can I get a taste of that water again, God? Can I feel you again, God? We're all human. And if I'm telling you that I've been there, then I know you've been there. 
And you may be there right now. You may be on that fence. My job isn't to condemn, but to let you know that there's a God who just wants you to say yes. I don't need all this stuff, God. Yes. I'm changing, God. Uh, it's yes. God graciously says, listen, I stand at the door and knock. He's knocking. It's God. I stand at the door and I'm knocking. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, look what he says. I will come into him and have dinner with him. Meaning God's going to come into your heart and he's going to stay with you. And then he says, look, he says, with him and he with me. Look what his promise is. This is a promise. I will give him the right to sit with me on my throne. On his throne. He's giving us the right to sit on a throne that we didn't even ask for or deserve. Look what he says. He says, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Just as I also won the victory. He says, anyone who has an ear should listen to what the spirit says, but he's knocking. Look, God is speaking to the church and to the people who are lukewarm. And he may even be speaking to you. He says, I'm knocking. But I'm knocking at your heart door. Not your neighbors. Not the people behind you. (laughs) Cleveland, I'm knocking. Amanda, I'm knocking. I'm knocking at this door. Chris, I'm knocking at the door. Are you going to let me in? He says, can I please come in? Or are you going to stay on a fence? But don't forget, that devil owns that fence. And if you're sitting on it, then he owns you. And today, folks, you must choose a side. And today, that choice has to be you're either hot or you're cold. Because lukewarmness is going to lead to death. And the only thing God wants is our hearts. So if, if you really, you know, and I'm not God, I don't know what he's telling you. And who cares? Who cares what he's saying to your neighbor? Who cares what you think somebody else might think? This altar, this altar, it's an altar. If God's calling you, if God spoke to you, if God is dealing with you, then this is your time. This is your time. God, I give it all to you. I'm laying it all down for you, God. And today, this day, I choose to serve you. And just like today, I choose for my family that I will serve the Lord. Until my last breath, until the day he calls me home. Is that your choice? Is that your choice? God's knocking. Knocking. Are you going to respond?
Church, it's for you too. It's not just the homes. It's you. He's knocking for you. You. And the altar is open.